electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I am Brian Sullivan, and tonight, inflation still taking a big bite out of your money, and we'll show you something simple to prove it and hear from a man who runs one of New York's biggest grocery stores. Bipartisan hope around something we can all get behind, ending Congress's ability to trade stocks. Members of both parties are here. If you come at the AI king, you better not miss. Can a wave of new AI products help Google take out ChatGPT? The mounting costs of the intensifying border crisis, tens of thousands of migrants lining up to cross. The president says it'll be, quote, chaotic. The mayor of El Paso with the toll it's taking on his town. And Elon Musk's vision for Twitter's future comes into focus thanks to some rather old school media. We'll explain that and much more. It's going to be a big hour. Belly up or buckle up. Last call is up right now. Well, good evening here and good afternoon out west. Thanks for joining us. Get to all those stories shortly, but we're going to kick off with this, and that is Disney. Their earnings are out, shares taking a hit after hours, and more importantly, streaming looking more and more like a troubled business. CEO Bob Iger grabbing some attention for comments on the earnings call about his feud with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Let's get more now and wrap it all up with CNBC's Julia Borston. Julia. Disney CEO Bob Iger defending the company's escalating lawsuit in Florida, noting that Disney's tax district is not unique, but is one of thousands designed to foster investment in the state. Take a listen. Well, this is plainly a matter of retaliation, while the rest of the Florida special districts continue operating basically as they were. Um, and I think it's also important for us to say our primary goal has always been to be able to continue to do exactly what we've been doing there, which is investing in Florida. We're proud of the tourism industry that we created. And does the state want us to invest more, employ more people, and pay more taxes or not? Bob Iger also unveiling a new vision for Disney's streaming services, announcing plans to roll together Hulu content into Disney Plus for a new app that will offer more opportunities for advertisers and higher engagement for consumers. Now, they will keep standalone apps for Disney Plus, Hulu and ESPN Plus, and they're planning to hike prices for the ad free version of Disney Plus later this year. They see some some price elasticity. They're also announcing plans to launch an ad tier on Disney Plus in Europe and announcing that they've hit 5,000-plus streaming advertisers. Iger saying that they're just starting to scratch the surface of the potential for advertising on their streaming platforms. Now, as for the question of whether Disney will buy out the remainder of Hulu from CNBC's parent company Comcast, which owns a stake, Iger said he is committed to the kind of general entertainment that Hulu has. And I mentioned that the first earnings call that I did after I came back that everything was on the table. And in fact, everything was on the table, but I've now had another three months to really study this carefully. 
and figure out what is the best path for us to grow this business. And it's clear that a combination of the content that is on Disney Plus with general entertainment uh, is a very positive, is, com is a very strong combination. As for the rest of Disney's business, the Parks Division continues to be a major growth driver with a 17% increase in revenue and a 23% increase in operating income in the quarter. Brian? All right, Julia, stick around. Let's also bring in CNBC contributor and engine gaming and media chairman, also the founder of this fine network. That is Tom Rogers. Tom, great to have you on. I mean, listen, earnings aside, what caught my eye was the streaming losses. I mean, Disney makes a lot of money, or at least it did. And not, they're not the only ones, by the way. A little company called you know, NBC and others might have been the same. Making a lot of money on traditional cable. They're, they're pretty much getting rid of that. The consumer is, and they're going in more to streaming. It almost feels like you're swapping a great business for a terrible one. What am I missing here? Well, you're not missing anything. Uh, the cable business, in terms of how cable channels were paid, paid across every home, regardless of how many homes were watching a channel, was the best media model ever invented. And streaming's business model is nowhere near that good. And no media company today, traditional media company, can tell you whether or not the decline they are going to suffer in terms of revenues from their cable channels uh, is uh, ever going to be made up by the growth and contribution of their streaming businesses. They hope so. They're cutting costs uh, on the streaming side, as Disney indicated, taking a write down on uh, programming costs because they're going to reduce the amount of programming on their uh, programming cost on their streaming services. Uh, but uh, that's a big unknown. Uh, what we what we've seen is a uh, focus away from just the number of subs to everybody now talking about the profitability of streaming services. Well, we haven't seen anybody stand up and yet say, and this is where the focus needs to go, is how bad is the decline going to be when it comes to the traditional cable channels relative to the growth and contribution that we see uh, the streaming side able to make? Do those lines ever cross? Uh, or are we in a uh, situation where media companies will never recover to where they were based on what you said, the best media model known to man was cable? Yeah, I mean, Julie, it's like the old adage, right? I'm going to lose money on every sale, but I'll make it up in volume. Producing content is incredibly expensive, and yet consumers appear not willing to pay for it. it. I get it. We want everything to be free these days, free this, free well, that. Well, I, I wouldn't say they're not willing to pay for it. Brian, I think it's really important to dig into those average revenue per user numbers. What's really notable to me is that the core Disney Plus subscriber, the ones in the U.S. and Canada, they actually paid 20% more. The average revenue per user was 20% higher this quarter than it was a year ago. Where the average revenue per user declined was in those lower value Hotstar subscribers, the ones that are in India that were already playing, paying less. And this year they actually paid 20% less than the year ago period. But actually one of the best upside surprises of this quarter was the fact that streaming losses continue to decline dramatically. If we pull back up that chart again, Disney lost $659 million in its direct-to-consumer streaming business this quarter. That's much less than the over $1 billion that they lost in the same division 
in the, in the prior quarter, and it's quite uh, it's quite a bit better than the amount that analysts expected Disney to lose, which is lose, which is about 850 million um, on that streaming division in the quarter. So losses are decreasing. And Bob Iger, at the very end of the earnings call, said something really interesting. He said, "We are going to be creating less content for streaming, and we can do that because we actually have the ability to see very precisely what is working." what's attracting viewers, what's retaining viewers, and what we should be making. And he said that not only are they making more content than they need to have that service yeah. be valuable, but they're spending a lot of money on marketing for all those shows, and they don't need to be doing that as much as well um, either. So that's all contributing to the cost savings and that focus on profitability. And this, you know, what he really Fair talked enough. about in, in this call is how this streaming business is on track to be quite a profitable one. Well, they, just, they can look at what, what worked and then they can just have an entire menu of grilled chicken sandwiches, right? Because grill, grilled chicken sandwiches work on every menu. You got to take some chances. I get mm. it. They got to make, make money. Tom, I, I, I hear Julia's point about the losses of money, but they also lost 3.6 billion streaming subscribers. All we hear is streaming is the future. If streaming is the future, why are millions of people abandoning it? Well, a uh, couple things. I agree with Julia that they took up uh, average revenue per user pricing on Disney Plus, but they got it to about seven dollars uh, in the U.S. Uh, Netflix is at about sixteen dollars. Uh, so it's clear that they got to get pricing way up, and they're also thirty million short, both Hulu and Disney Plus, of where Netflix is. So they got to get distribution up. And what I really heard uh, Iger saying is we need to broaden the service. We need general entertainment there. They want a single app. It's too complicated to have uh, uh, this, this bundle. It's not driving Disney Plus sufficiently. Disney Plus actually lost a little bit of subscriber ground in the U.S. You're right. They, yeah. they did globally, but where they lost were subs they never should have talked that much about in the first place. Uh, subs in India which are worth uh, much, much less than uh, subs in uh, Europe and the U.S. And uh, uh, they talked a lot about it on the way up. Uh, the, on the way down, they don't mean that much. It, quickly, and this is a, the, the world's most Homer question, I admit, is Comcast in the catbird seat, Tom? That's our parent company, obviously. Well, I think what we also heard, if you read between the lines, is that uh, Comcast is going to be $9 billion in cash richer, because I can't imagine that Disney decided to announce and will introduce at the end of the year a combined Hulu Disney Plus app, essentially doing what I think they need to do is integrate those two services into a single service where marketing costs and other synergies can be realized, and at the same time make uh, a combined service more powerful yeah. than each have been alone. I can't imagine him doing that without also recognizing he's going to have to buy out Comcast. So what he said he learned over the last three months, I think he learned that uh, he was pretty much convinced that uh, Comcast wasn't a buyer here, but a seller. Yeah, maybe. And a lot of those losses, subscribers did come, as Julia said, from India, but a, a subscriber is a subscriber. Julia Borston, Tom Rogers, thank you very much. All right, time now for tomorrow's news tonight, the stories you're going to be talking about tomorrow morning and an update on a story that we've been following closely here on Last Call. A bankruptcy judge halted the Phoenix Suns deal that would have moved regular season games to a local broadcast network owned by Gray TV. The agreement would have been a watershed deal for sports television. Suns previously aired the regular season games on a cable network owned by Diamond Sports. Diamond filed for bankruptcy in March.
Next up, data analytics company Palantir dumping $50 million worth of gold bars it bought back in 2021. What? The company announced in the news in their quarterly filing yesterday. Price of gold trending down today. Palantir owning $50 million in gold bars. That's like heavy. Finally, Robinhood announcing it will offer 24-hour trading of selected stocks and ETFs funds five days a week. The investment platform will allow limited orders starting for a subset of customers next week. It will be available to the public beginning next month. All right, speaking of Robinhood, founder and CEO Vlad Tenev will join Squawk Box tomorrow morning, first on CNBC interview at 8.45 a.m. All right, up next, where inflation's stranglehold is refusing to loosen its grip, that is the grocery store. And we have got a receipt to prove it. Plus, who says bipartisanship is dead? Lawmakers on polar opposite sides of the aisle unite to ban congressional stock trading who the leaders of that movement will join us. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Click, 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 click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. All right, welcome back to Last Call. Here's what happened to your money today. Again, not much. Really, the market's... Pretty much as quiet as a church mouse with a muzzle on lately. The Dow slid a touch. The S&P and NASDAQ rose a bit, but pretty much at the same level they were months ago. But like we like to say, there is always action underneath the market hood. The biggest winner of the day was web services company Akamai Technologies, jumping nearly 8.5%. The biggest decliner was Axon Enterprise. They fell 15%. Who is Axon? Well, that is the company formerly known as Taser, and it left investors stunned, down 15%. All right, stocks are one type of money, but let's talk more about a more common type of money, and that is money, money, and inflation's impact on it. And there was some good news. Inflation, at least the rate of gains, slowed for a 10th straight month. The CPI jumped 4.9% in April from one year earlier, that according to the Labor Department. The report was widely celebrated today. Financial Times wrote, quote, inflation eases to 4.9% in April as Fed tightening takes effect. The LA Times, quote, Wall Street edges higher after report shows inflation easing slightly. Actually, as we showed you, the Dow fell. And USA Today, quote, inflation is cooling, grocery costs slow, curbing stubbornly high consumer prices. Nice headlines. Are they true? The numbers are what the top line report says. But I'm asking all of you, are you seeing prices actually go down at the store for anything? Now, we are not. 
And we've been following the story for a while. Here's what we did. And you might remember this from our previous program, my previous show, Worldwide Exchange. We did it a couple times last year. On August 8th of last year, we put four common items into an Instacart order at a grocery store right here by CNBC. Milk, eggs, bread, and ground beef. Total came to $22.51. We did the exact same search today. The same four items. Same brands, same store, same Instacart, same everything. The total, $23.82. A jump of nearly 6% from just eight months ago. Now, if those prices seem high overall, we know that delivery prices will often be different. But this is the same delivery from the same store of the same products. That is a pretty sizable jump, especially over a couple of years ago. It is, of course, just one little metric, and maybe the delivery costs rose, and the products actually kept the same. We don't know. But whoever bought it would have paid more, and hopefully that makes a point. Let's ask somebody who knows a thing or two about grocery stores, billionaire John Katsimatidis, chairman and CEO of Red Apple Group. They own a refinery, as well as New York City's iconic Gristidis grocery store. So, John, you're the perfect person. I know Instacart is not the best way to do that. There's always extra fees. I get it. So tell us. Are you seeing the prices you have to pay from your suppliers come down at all? No, the prices are not coming down. And I I believe CEOs are in a crisis mode. Uh, Raising the interest rates as high as the Fed has raised them uh, put the banks into a terrible condition. uh, And uh, interest rates continue. They continued. The Fed continued. uh, raising another quarter point. Uh, CEOs, like I said, in a crisis mode. Why? Their cost of money is going up. Their their uh, gasoline or diesel fuel to deliver to the stores is still a, l- a little bit lower, but it's not gone down significantly enough. Yeah. So what happens to CEOs? You know what happens to CEOs? They get nervous. They say, I might miss next, next quarter's... Uh, 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 numbers, and I don't want to miss next quarter's numbers because Wall Street will not forgive me. So they're taking a very cautious mode. Uh, is is John? We hear is, is corporate uh, greed a part of the inflation story? Absolutely not. It's it's, it's corporate crisis. It's corporate CEOs are scared. You know, don't forget uh, the, the with the banks uh, they close down the lending. On real estate, uh, who who's going to buy a new house in real estate? If, if you have a house that you're paying three percent interest in, and you want to sell it and buy another house and pay six percent, seven percent interest, you're not going to do it. Then the banks are in crisis mode. The CEOs in the banks are in crisis mode. The, uh, the, the I've had lunch uh, with many CEOs of banks, and guess what? They're scared stiff for their existence because, like First Republic, that went down. In my opinion, it didn't have to. It could have been saved. Signature Bank, the same Fair thing. Fair enough. And you know the, the next shoe that's going to fall? Corporate America is not going to be able to borrow money from the banks because that's the next shoe that's going to fall because the CEO of the banks are so scared that they're not going to well, be I, lending out money. They're John, worried I, about I, their own existence. I hope, I hope you are Ooh. wrong, my friend. No offense. I hope you are wrong about that because that's a scary proposition. I want to bring it back to the store. 
Because I'm sure you've seen it. Your managers, your employees have seen it. I saw it. You, you go down the store aisle and you watch people, particularly a lot of elderly people, probably on a fixed income. They pick up a product. They look at the price and they put it back. You know, I call it, a, it used to be the joke, whole paycheck for Whole Foods, $100 a bag. $100 a bag is everywhere now. It's, it's everywhere. Is there any hope on the future of this going down? De- what, are we what, have, what is I any deflation it? coming, not disinflation? Yes. Yes. First of all, there's an economic world war going on. Uh, China and uh, Russia wants $100, $100 oil to pay for their bills and Saudi Arabia. America wants $65 oil. And we have it down to 72 right now. If oil stays down and the Fed takes a pause, guess what? Inflation over the next three, four, five months will come down. But the Fed has to be smart enough to realize, let's take a pause. And and if they keep raising rates, CEOs want to make their earnings and they're going to do what they have to do to stay in business. So the prices will not go down unless unless they feel confidence in the system. And right now, the world has lost confidence in in our systems in Washington. John Katzmatidis laying it out, strong perspective, but you know what? We need it because there's a lot of scary things that are going on right now. John, we appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, folks, keep those receipts. Take a look at them every couple of months. Same product. See what you find and let us know. All right, still ahead. Dogs and cats, the Montagues and Capulets. Remember that? The Hatfields and the McCoys. And now AOC and Matt Gates. Yep, they both want to ban congressional stock trading once and for all. And we will have a bipartisan discussion about just that next. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. All right, welcome back. Time for your RBI, and today it's a little bit different because we're going to get random but interesting on some sneaky stocks. Companies who are crushing it, making you money, but that you might not have heard about anywhere else. This is not a complete list. It is just some unusual names that caught our eye, and we thought you should hear about it. Just good old-fashioned stock stuff. So let's go. And like the doors sang, we'll do it five to one. All right, number five, Eli Lilly. Have you noticed Lilly's up 27% this quarter? Huge momentum around Mount Jaro for weight loss. This is also random but important. Latest data has 40% of Americans as now being obese, 40%. Two states, by the way, have more than half of their adults as obese. Stock number four is Molson Coors, up 21% in a month, obviously grabbing market share from Bud Light. Target raised by a few analysts. Happy 150th birthday, by the way, to Coors, which launched 150 years ago. But the stock is just crushing it. Number three, B. Riley Financial. It's a mid-sized financial firm. It's up 32% in one week. Revenue up 75% from a year ago. They bought the assets of a restructuring firm. You go, B. Riley. Stock number two, Valvoline. 
Are oil changes dead because everybody is buying an EV? Well, don't tell Valvoline. Valvoline stock is not only up 12% this week, it's at an all-time high. Strong earnings, strong guidance, big stock buyback, powering this Kentucky-based company. And number one, and maybe the most sneaky hot stock of all, drink maker Celsius. The Pepsi partnership popping the stock. Celsius soaring up 50% in just one month. Price target being raised by multiple analysts. Wow, Celsius. Again, those five stocks, Eli Lilly, Molson Coors, B. Riley, Valvoline, Celsius. We just thought you should hear about them. It's random, but crushing it. Making investors money. All right, moving on to a different type of stock story and something that we have been following closely here on the show, and that is the topic of congressional stock trading. Past few months, there have been a number of members of Congress making some pretty suspect stock trades, like selling bank stocks just before the banking crisis hit or trading in semiconductor names as the massive chips bill legislation is getting passed. Now, that could all just be amazing timing. But as anyone of any party has to admit, it's bad optics. House Republicans Matt Gates and Brian Fitzpatrick are teaming up with House Democrats Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and Raja Krishnamoorthy to introduce a new bill that would ban members of Congress from trading and owning individual stocks. Joining us now are two of this bill's sponsors, and that is Congressman Matt Gates and Congressman Raja Krishnamoorthy of Illinois. Uh, great to see you both together. There is hope for America, so we appreciate it. Uh, Congressman Gates, start with you. Uh, how did this, can you give us, how did this come about? Who approached whom, and why is this such a bipartisan issue? I want to give Raja and Congressman Brian Fitzpatrick a lot of credit for a middle-out approach. They worked to help set up the uh, protocols for this legislation, and I know Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez and I are honored to be co-introducers with them. $788 million of securities were traded by members of Congress last year. About one in every four members of Congress are involved in these disclosed trades. We don't think they should be allowed, and there are particular sectors of the economy that seem to have a lot of interest for members of Congress trading energy, high-tech, healthcare, defense, the very industries that we have a great ability to impact. And I think going yeah. forward, we have to also look at these moments like the pandemic and other areas where there was a whole lot of trading. And, you know, and Congressman Christian uh, Morthy, what they say is, oh, you know what? It was in a blind trust. My financial advisor just happened to have the world's greatest timing and sold everything the day before I signed this bill. I mean, whether or not it is just good timing, would there be any sort of weigh holes in what you are proposing that would allow members of Congress to own and hold stocks under any condition? Well, I, I think that what you pointed out is even the appearance of people trading, uh, regardless of whether they use insider information or anything, just erodes trust. And uh, people, quite frankly, don't believe that they didn't trade based on inside information. With regard to this bill, uh, there are provisions that allow you to um, you know, essentially invest in widely diversified uh, funds, mutual funds and treasuries, uh, but you can't own or trade individual stocks. That's kind of a basic issue. And quite frankly, when I tell my constituents that you are allowed to do that now, uh, they can't believe it. They thought that it was illegal yesterday. And so the fact that it's not um, is anathema to everything they believe. And they think that you should be serving them, not your stock portfolio. So, Congressman Christian Morley, back to you on that. How would this progress? Can you get it through the House 
And what do you think the Senate would do if you did? Well, uh, you know, the interesting thing, uh, and Matt may have alluded to it, is, you know, this particular bill is wildly popular among Republicans, Democrats and independents, not so much among my colleagues. Um, and so now we are trying to make a push for the uh, what's called the Congressional House Administrative Committee, uh, which has jurisdiction here to basically take it up, uh, vote on it or mark it up out of committee and then bring it to the floor for a vote. Yeah. And, and Congressman Gates, we, we look at this and I, I think it's, you know, oftentimes the viewers are disgusted. I mean, I, I hear from them they're like, wait, what? This person bought and sold this stock a couple days before or after this. I mean, how does this how do we even get to this point this far along where this hasn't been dealt with years ago? It should have been. And frankly, uh, we've had a system in Washington for too long that has been based on just Republican versus Democrat. And that has allowed these systemic institutional challenges to plague the people's house. What I am heartened by is that we've got a lot of the younger members of Congress who seem to be united around this. So it's the millennials and the Zoomers perhaps more interested in advancing this particular mechanism of ethics reform than some of our septuagenarian and octogenarian friends. That doesn't necessarily bode well for consideration in the United States Senate. But if we push our colleagues to hold votes on these matters, the American people can see uh, who wants to make this reform. And I do believe that if we just go down this road more, you're going to see these flashpoint events drive trading distortions in markets. And that really impairs the free market system that every investor and every American should be able to what, count what would ha- Okay, let's say you get the bill passed, Matt. Back to you, Congressman Gates. What would happen you get it passed and and members of Congress, would they be allowed to own the stocks they currently own? Would they be no. forced to divest? And I would assume if they're forced to divest, they will get a tax break because you can't force people to take a giant tax bill. So they would be forced to divest into a uh, into a blind trust. But then that blind trust would be required to dispose of those securities within a period over six months. And so there would be a, a an outpouring of those investments. There's some flexibility in precisely when, but once we get that through the gestation period, then I think that uh, we'll be in a a far better place in the House. And and, and if we don't get it done, Congressman Chris DeMorthy, if if this for some reason, to your point, the Senate, a lot of people in there have been, been by the way, the Dow has changed a lot since many of the Senate first got elected to the Senate. I'll just, ITT and some railroads, I think were in there. Um, That said, you don't get it through what happens? Any hope for the American public to feel like they've they've got it more on the level? Um, well, I, I'd like to say yes, but I couldn't say that. I think that we, we have to push. Look, I think that um, seven years ago when Matt and I entered Congress, uh, this wasn't even on the radar screen. Uh, you know, now it's finally coming to the fore. And I think there's momentum behind this. I think that Speaker McCarthy pledged last Congress that if he becomes speaker, that he's going to bring this to the floor for a vote. So I think that we're going to try to hold him to it and uh, and just keep pushing. That's it, because you both. I mean, <laughs> I'm sure there's some of your members of Congress that, that have, you know, they own B&O Railroad and a couple of hotels on Baltic and Mediterranean. I'll leave it there. Congressman Matt Gates, Congressman Raja Krithamorthy, we really appreciate your views. Good luck. Thank keep you. us informed of how it's going. All right, still ahead. Wall Street legend Carl Icahn feeling the heat from federal prosecutors and the timing? A little curious. Plus, Google tries to make its biggest AI splash. Yet, is it enough to actually sink 
the artificial intelligence competition. Time now for your last call watch list. First up tonight, the risk of U.S. debt default. No, the debt ceiling standoff has not been resolved. President Biden even accused Republican lawmakers of, quote, literally holding the economy hostage, end quote. The June 1st deadline is quickly approaching. So what are the odds of America defaulting? Well, according to our newly minted last call defaultometer, 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 yeah, and that is based on current credit default swap rates, well, we have a ways to go. Now, it maxes out, CDSs max out at a price of 1,000. That is when the basically the likelihood default is effectively 100%. But historically speaking, the current level of default risk for the United States is virtually unprecedented. It is very low, but it's about the highest it's ever been. Look at that. That is a 20-year chart of the cost of insuring our debt. And this is really random but interesting. The cost of insuring U.S. debt against default is now more expensive than the insurance on the debt from Brazil and the debt from Mexico, two countries which have defaulted multiple times. Think about that. Meantime, things are not looking up for Wall Street legend Carl Icahn. Icahn Enterprises tanked another 15% following the news that it is under federal investigation. It is another blow to Icahn. If you remember, it all started last Tuesday when Hindenburg Research released a report alleging Icon Enterprises operations are, quote, Ponzi-like. Fast forward a few days, and the stock had dropped over 30%. And today's news of a federal investigation slammed the stock even more. It has now lost about 40% of investor value in a month. One interesting piece, though, here is the timing. The public news of the federal probe just became public today. But the probe actually began last Wednesday. Is it just a coincidence the stock has been sinking? Is it good luck? Is it perfect timing? Maybe somebody in Congress (laughs) or something else. Anyway, Icon Enterprises stated in an SEC filing that, quote, the U.S. Attorney's Office has not made any claims or allegations against us or Mr. Icon with respect to the foregoing inquiry, IEP, the stock to watch. All right, shifting gears, Google kicking off its developers conference and rolling out some new stuff. Most notably, a nearly $2,000 phone that folds. But there's also news around AI. Google's integrating some artificial intelligence into web searches, similar to Microsoft's move a few months ago. Google's generative AI, as it is known, is currently only available through the Google Labs waitlist. Joining us now to dive into the biggest takeaways from the event, our own Deirdre Bosa and deputy editor of The Verge, Alex Heath, both were at the conference today. And Deirdre, I think the fear is Google makes almost all of its money off keyword searches. You know, we Google stuff and then they sell the ads, whatever. That AI would crush that business. What did we learn today? What we learned, Brian, that is a very astute observation. And what we learned today is that generative AI, the chat GPT that has taken over sort of the lexicon, is not going to kill search. Google did a pretty effective job in showing that generative artificial intelligence is only going to make search better. They had a very effective video that showed how search is going to evolve. And Senator Pichai, the CEO, says that search was powering everything on the back end already. They've been working on this for a very long time, but now it is moving front and center. So when you or I or consumers, when they're allowed to try what they're calling search labs, this new way of searching, 
They're going to be given not those 10 blue links that we're accustomed to, but they're going to be given images, summaries, uh, videos even, side-by-side -side comparisons of things you can buy. So in this way, Google showed that they were not going to displace advertising and they can still have search and the lucrative business that that is. Alex, do you think that Google investors, Alphabet investors, should come away a little more at ease today? I think Google displayed a lot of confidence today. I think Sundar Pichai, the CEO, clearly feels that they need to react to the global phenomenon that was ChatGPT. We're talking about the fastest growing consumer software product in history, which was only released less than six months ago. Google clearly feels the need to respond and to have generative AI more intricately woven throughout its products. But you're seeing them take this very slow, methodical approach where you have to opt in to this lab's wait list to be able to use generative AI in search. And to me, that says they think this technology is interesting, but they don't think it's ready for mainstream adoption just quite yet. What Can I ask a dumb question? I'm sorry, Alex. I, I actually, they, they say generative AI. I'm just learning this stuff. What is, what is the generative mean? How is it different than just the AI that we've been talking about with ChatGPT and others? Well, when you think about traditionally searching Google, you're often combing through links to try to piece together everything that you're trying to find. At least that's been my experience as of late. What generative AI in a search context can do is synthesize all the results that you could possibly look at and present it in a very easy to understand digestible paragraph or bullet summary at the top of the search page. And that's the thing that Google announced today that they're rolling out to people who opt into this experience. And it has potential to change how search works, how one of the most lucrative business models in the history of the world works. But right now it's very early. And I think this shows that they don't see the need to respond quite as quickly as the chat GPT phenomenon would seem to suggest they might. Deirdre, how long have you been waiting? Let me add something to that. Go ahead, go ahead. I love that definition, but I also think an important part of this is generative AI also has the ability to, let's call it the BS factor, <laughs> to make you believe Easy now, that something is true, which may not be at all. Um, I think, what do we call it today earlier? Arrogant. It's very arrogant. There's a chat bot that tells you an answer that sounds really convincing, really correct, because it sources from so many different places, synthesizes, like Alex says, but it also has the ability to give misinformation, which is why Google was here and why those demos were so carefully yeah. planned because their first go at this didn't go so well. Well, first off, two things. Number one, we should have called the show, Max, the BS factor. I kind of like that. Number two, thank God there's an $1,800 <laughs> foldable phone. We've been waiting for it. I'm now, everything's fine. Alex Heath, Deirdre Bosa, thank you both very much. The BS factor. All right, on deck. With an overwhelmed border, President Biden says chaos can't be avoided. We are speaking with the mayor of El Paso, Texas, about the economic impact on his city on the border crisis and just how bad it might get. All right, welcome back to Last Call. The already overwhelming influx of migrants, migrants at the southern border may be about to ramp up. The Biden administration warning the next few days could be, quote, chaotic. And the president is now sending 1,500 troops down to the border after COVID-era restrictions are set to expire tomorrow. The rules, which were put in place in 2020, allowed Border Patrol to take immediate action and turn away or expel anyone trying to enter the United States. 
It's part of an effort to stop the spread of COVID-19. Now, without that rule, known as Title 42, migrants may be allowed to request asylum en masse. President Biden speaking out earlier today. 1,500 now. Right. And it's not the troops are there to free up the border patrol people to be able to do their job. Look, I asked the Congress for a lot more money for the border patrol. They didn't do it. This is a terrible human crisis with potential national security concerns as well, specifically around fentanyl. But let's be clear, it's also a major economic story, which is why we are covering it here on Last Call. According to the Texas Attorney General's office, illegal entry into America costs state taxpayers roughly $850 million every year. Perhaps no city hit as hard as El Paso, Texas. Joining us now is El Paso Mayor Oscar Leeser. Mayor Leeser, thank you for joining us in this difficult time um, let's be clear, and I'll be, I'll be honest, straight up information has been hard to come by at times. What exactly is the real situation on the ground in El Paso, Ciudad Juarez, and other surrounding cities? You know, and um, that's a great question because we've really been very involved in what's going on in the whole city house. We have a great team. We work together with the Border Patrol. We work together with ICE. We work together with the county, the city, Office of Emergency Management. I traveled last week into Juarez and, and kind of looked at the, the tents in the areas where they were uh, setting up. Uh, and I went back again today and looked at it. And really, the, the very surprising numbers that I saw today, the numbers in Juarez had actually dropped down quite a bit. Uh, they're probably less than half what we had anticipated. And, uh, and that was a big surprise to us. And also the number that the men out on the streets in El Paso, uh, we had about 3,000 people at Sacred Heart Church on uh, Monday and today, uh, about noon, I was back out there, and our numbers are probably down to about 500. I, I saw some stats today, Mayor, and that's good news, that there may have been as many as 10,000 or more apprehensions today and potentially yesterday, or at least in the previous few days. How has it been? What's the economic toll, hospital resources, first responder resources on your city, on the people, on the taxpayers? Well, the federal government has been a very good partner to us, and Secretary Mayorkas has been really looking at what we need, and I've talked to him. I've talked to him quite often, and he's really been able to supply the city of El Paso the resources that we need. And you're right. We couldn't do it on the back of the taxpayers, and these people are not coming to El Paso, Texas. They're actually coming to the United States, and we're doing the job of the federal government with a broken immigration process and an immigration program. So it's been... Uh, it's been something that we've been able to work together and uh, it's not cost local taxpayers any money because they're giving us the resources. Uh, they, uh, the Red Cross came to give us manpower, gave us food. So they're here on the ground today to help us open up our shelter that opened up today. So we've had the resources. We've had the, what we need from the federal government and the Border Patrol has been overwhelmed as uh, you were showing a little while ago. Mm -hmm. And that's been what said we continue to make sure that uh, our police officers who will not enforce immigration laws continue just to help and back up to make sure the city of El Paso is safe and our asylum seekers continue to be safe also. Well, wishing you the best, obviously, in, in what the president said could be a, quote, chaotic situation, and it's been a, uh, a rough couple of years. El Paso, one of the most unique cities, certainly in the United States, some great people down there, a lot of veterans as well, and active military. Uh, Mayor Leeser, thank you very much. Best to you and your team. Appreciate thank you very much, and I appreciate you. Um, giving us an opportunity to speak. Yes, sir. Anytime. You're welcome. Thank you.
All right, coming up, Elon Musk's grand vision for Twitter. Why does he apparently need, you know, like some old school TV people to get there? Don Lemon with a show on Twitter? Maybe. We'll talk about it next. All right, welcome back. Is Elon Musk's grand vision for Twitter finally coming into focus? Musk is now offering former CNN anchor Don Lemon a chance to revive his career by launching a show on Twitter. In a reply to a tweet Lemon posted on the day he got fired, Musk wrote, quote, have you considered doing your show on this platform? Maybe worth a try. Audience is much bigger. Lemon has yet to publicly respond to Musk's pitch. But the timing is interesting. Musk's invitation comes a day after former Fox News host Tucker Carlson announced he would bring his new show directly to Twitter. And for years, Musk has been talking about the idea of an everything app, a one-stop shop for messaging, social media, e-commerce, peer-to-peer payments, he said, entertainment and news. So could the addition of Carlson and maybe Lemon or others be the start of Musk's greater ambition? Let's ask media industry expert Michael Wolf, founder and CEO of Activate, also the former president and COO of MTV. Michael, good to have you on. Great to be here. What could Twitter be? Um, there's a lot that Twitter could, that, that Elon Musk can do with Twitter. Payments, messaging, um, video. Um, there's just so many opportunities. Like China's WeChat. Well, China's WeChat, there's some, we've been looking at WeChat over the last decade, and there's some reasons why WeChat has succeeded. WeChat has 1.2 billion members. Um, but Musk is still starting off with a very strong base, a lot to build on. Yeah. Um, over 50% of his users are under the age of 34. They're spending 30 hours, 30 minutes, I'm sorry, 30 minutes a day on the, on the app. And Co- so- a couple of months ago, Twitter was supposed to shut down in like a day. Like rip Twitter, it's gone. I'm moving to Mastodon or uh, post, whatever it may be. I don't know the Twitter numbers because it's private now. We're not going to get quarterly numbers. We could see daily active users. Is there any indication that Twitter, some people have left because they don't like Musk or whatever. They don't like some of the points of view. I get it. There's some nasty stuff there. Any indication that Twitter overall has been weakened? Well, here's, a, here's the proof. Mastodon, the Twitter clones, Mastodon, Post, they haven't succeeded. There were about a million people who I left. I tried Mastodon. I, I, you can't even figure it I out. I couldn't figure it out. Post hasn't succeeded. Blue yeah. Sky, it's too soon. It, it, it's unlikely that we're going to see this mass exodus. Um, and in fact, people are now spending more time. It's been very resilient. And in terms of, as you asked earlier about what it can do, Musk knows payments. There, there are so many places where Twitter, the audience is it's about a tenth the size of, of Facebook. Yeah, and let's be clear. Most Americans are not on Twitter. Most Americans are not on Twitter. And the ones who are on Twitter, don't. It's, it can be confusing. And it's people like me and you in the media who benefit the most. I completely Acknowledge that. So how does but that's a limited audience. How does Musk expand it so that normal people feel maybe a little more engaged on the platform? Well, but but that's precisely why he's trying to attract major personalities. It's possible that Tucker Carlson, Don Lemon, a may bring a larger group. Their audiences on CNN and on Fox um, have are much larger, uh, uh, much larger in older brackets. So they could bring new people to the platform. Yeah, it's they, people could spend a lot more time on it. So there's a lot that could be positive in some of as, these moves. As far as quickly, as far as we know, we're not talking about Musk or uh, uh, Carlson doing a show and then putting it on Twitter. This is a show only on Twitter. For Twitter, that's yes. it. So if you're not on Twitter, 
you're not going to be able to see this new show. Is that as far as we know, that's what it's going to be? That, that's what that's what we've heard. I mean, we don't know. He's got to be printing money then. He's going to have how much do you think he's being paid? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he, at this point if he's going to be paid. I mean, there there are. The, the, there's the opportunity, by the way, for them to charge. Not sure that people will pay for it. But there's a lot more upside in this. And I don't think that it's yeah. going to be Lemon and, and, and Carlson are going to be the only people who are going to want to be doing Amazing. shows on Twitter. Amazing transformation and apparently with 20% of the former staff. Michael Wolf, thank you very much. Pleasure Appreciate that. All right, folks, really appreciate you turning into Last Call. We will be here as well tomorrow night. Have a great night or great afternoon wherever you are. See you tomorrow. Shark Tank is next. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.